you know, if we're going to rewild, we have to learn to see beauty in the change and the process. This is a podcast about visual art at Auburn University. My name is Chris Malinsky, Director of Education at the Jewel Colin Smith Museum of Fine Art. Today, we talk about the Wildflower Garden, an experimental project on the museum grounds led by the College of Agriculture at Auburn University, the College of Architecture, Design, and Construction, the Auburn Bee Lab, and funded by the USDA. Today, we talk with a couple of the key collaborators on this project about biochar, wildflowers, and what it means to do experimental research in a public space like an art museum. My name is Kelly Homan. Uh, I'm an assistant professor in the environmental design program at Auburn. We're housed in the College of Architecture, Design, and Construction. I'm also a landscape architect. Hi, uh, I'm Zachary Benaducci. Uh, I'm a master's student in the entomology and plant pathology department at Auburn University. So essentially what we're looking at, the site at the museum is part of a, a, larger, um, a larger project that has four sites across the city. Uh, the museum is definitely our most public site, so we're really excited about that, that people are going to kind of get to see the project. But we're interested in understanding if biochar as a soil amendment will have an impact on uh, wildflower mixes or grassland mixes. The museum sits on several acres of beautiful space in Auburn. Directly outside the front entrance of the museum are the Susan Phillips Gardens, formal walled gardens with reflecting pools and walking paths. Many people come to the museum for exercise and loop around the pond on College Street. As part of Auburn University, we're always interested in collaborators who are bringing new ideas and new research projects from diverse parts of campus. When Kelly reached out to us about the Wildflower Project, we were excited to reimagine how some of our garden area could be transformed and used in a different way. It's an experimental work of landscape architecture and a research project. The project is testing how wildflowers grow with biochar added to the soil. Biochar is essentially a carbon. Uh, It's created through you take an organic material like wood or um, manure, or it can be kind of vegetated biomass, and you heat it to really hot temperatures, and it generates a carbon. Uh, and that's essentially what's put into the soil, and it creates, uh, can create a much healthier soil. It gives the soil structure. It can hold water. Um, it's been studied a good bit with uh, agriculture, so in farming, and it's shown to do good things for the yields um, uh, in certain crops. And it's also been studied in nursery production, and it's also done some good things. So we're hoping, the theory is that it will also do good things for wildflower plantings. Yeah, biochar. And I'll, I think I'll just add uh, quick here that biochar's main kind of ways that they influence the plant community, at least, is through um, uh, in- changes in the cation exchange capacity of the soil. So, you know, the soil is riddled with positive cations um, that plant species need to to grow. And biochar having a high cation exchange capacity is really good at holding on to those nutrients, but also allowing them to be exchangeable with plant roots. So um, that's one of the the big things that likely can change with biochar addition. Um, It could also influence the pH, which is also important for for plant plant nutrient uptake. 
And the other main, really main one is it can increase water holding capacity, which given the effects of climate change can be, could be a very important uh, uh, aspect of it going into the future. So the plots at the museum, uh, some of them contain the biochar amendment and some of them do not. And what we're studying is what type of impact do the plots that have biochar will have on flowering, on uh, pollinators that come to the plots, on diversity. The wildflower garden, which you can visit anytime outside on the museum grounds, is wild and scraggly looking. It's completely untouched. Everything growing there is in a constant cycle of death and rebirth. A lot of it look like giant weeds that have just gone wild. Aesthetically, these kinds of untouched fields are incredibly popular among a younger wave of landscape architects. It's a new way of thinking about nature and our relationship to it. I really want to give the museum credit for wanting this research project in such a prominent place. Um, So when we talk about diversity, when we talk about biodiversity, the idea of rewilding, like what does that look like? Diversity, species diversity, a lot of times looks messier than uh, the public is used to. So one thing that's great about having these plots uh, at the museum is that people are going to see that. And if we want uh, landscapes to be more ecological, to provide us ecosystem services, things of that nature, we're going to have to kind of get used to the messiness. So when you look at those plots, it's not a garden. It's the, um, you know, they've got some weeds and it's not perfect and it's going to change over time. And it's going to have parts of the year where it's very dramatic and very full of blooms. And then it's going to have parts of the year that it's not. But the parts of the year that it's not, and it's say seed heads or stalks, or we have to learn to see beauty in that as well, because all of the other creatures that interact with uh, plants value that. Um, so I really appreciate that the museum, you know, when we first initially talked about this, uh, we talked about that idea that it, it was going to look messy at times. It wasn't going to look um, like your typical garden might look um, and that we were, you know, we really wanted the public to see that and hopefully embrace it. There are going to be times of the year where there's kind of like a dearth and flower output. Um, spring, and fall are typically the the better seasons where you see the most flowers blooming. Uh, And midsummer, when it's really, really hot out, tends to be the time of year where you kind of have, again, a dearth in flower production. Um, I could, could, you know, we included in the mix species that do bloom in spring, summer, and fall. Um, It's possible that biochar might have some kind of effect during the particularly hot times of the year. Again, in the fact that it can increase water holding capacity. So we might, I, I expect that there might be, um, you know, a, a bit higher richness in the heat of the summer as compared to the control plots. But um, it's a little bit early to kind of capture that, especially since biochar can have kind of more long-term effects. It takes time for some of its benefits to even show up. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very possible that 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 could happen. You know, if we're going to rewild places, the the idea of rewilding is kind of a hot topic right now in landscape architecture. Um, We have to learn to see beauty in the change and the process. 
and not just beauty in, you know, the flowers. Yes, they are beautiful and they're valuable, but there's lots of other pieces of uh, landscapes and species diversity that we need to see as, as valuable, as beautiful. Over the next several years, members of the research team will regularly visit the museum to collect samples and evaluate the progress of the wildflower garden. We collect the soil about three times a year, um, an early soil collection, a mid-season collection, and then an end-of-the-season collection to kind of give us how a picture of how the nutrients are kind of changing throughout the season, but also between years. So we will be collecting across um, the years of the project, which it's planned to last four years. Um, along with that, though, again, we're looking at the vegetation community. So uh, we're also doing a spring, summer, and fall uh, data collection on the number of uh, flowering, uh, the number of flowers per um, per quadrat, which is basically just like a PVC frame. It's a, a meter squared total area inside the frame, and you lay it on the ground, and that's that's basically the area that you're counting um, the number of flowers in. So um, again, with that, that's you know we're looking at the abundance of different flower species. So we're looking at how uh, rich the subplots are, whether between biochar control, so how many species there are overall, and then also looking at the, the diversity metrics um, uh, for those subplots. And we're, we'll be doing this for those, those whole four years. We're also collecting data on the interactions that insects are having with the planting. So um, we do do a kind of standardized collection of flower visiting insects, which gives us a better picture of, you know, what what insect species are using what plant species. And the purpose of that really is to inform like, hey, which which species should be planted in these kind of plantings for, you know, plantings in the southeastern United States. Because another another thing about that is we often don't have very good information, and particularly in Alabama, about what flower species, um, bees, for example, are uh, most attracted to. We have general recommendations for like other areas in the U.S. and across the U.S., but there's been relatively little work done here in Alabama. So that's another kind of side side thing along with this project. Having a childhood where you do spend time outside in nature really makes a difference towards the attitude that you have towards, you know, um, maybe like what we would call weeds on the landscape or, you know, native uh, native plant communities that seemingly to most people probably aren't doing very much, but to someone who has kind of an ecological perspective on things, knows that there's an incredible diversity of both forms of life and insects, birds, plants, what have you. I mean, insects, we have over... Uh, over a million spe described species of insects and probably most people just have no idea that that's the case. Um, so there's, you know, diversity in, in the forms of life and the functions they do, they all play a role, right? So you can go down plenty of rabbit holes, uh, you know, trying to investigate uh, all the ways that, that, you know, animals are interacting with their environment. And it's just, it's, there's so much to learn there. It's like, how can you, how can you not be <laughs> fascinated by it? One last thing. If you're in the area and you can go to the museum, take some time to just sit and observe the wildflower planting because 
it's there's a lot going on there so um, there's a lot to learn from it too my thanks to kelly homan and zachary benaducci for talking with us my thanks also to laura sitterly for conducting the original interview all museum programs including this podcast are made possible by listeners like you visit our website and show your support